Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Hey, before we get started today, I want to let you know about a cool thing we're doing next week. Thursday, April 25th, we are going to have a Smart Politics Happy Hour from 6 to 8 at Whiskey 6 in Gross Point. Nancy Derringer from Deadline Detroit and Sandra Swoboda of Great Lakes Now are going to join me as you lead the conversation about the issues that matter most to you. And we'll take your concerns to elected officials and policymakers when we go up to the Mackinac Policy Conference at the end of May. So mark your calendar, April 25th at Whiskey 6, 6 to 8 p.m. I'll be there, and I hope you will, too. Up first today, it is tax day, and you've got until midnight to file your taxes from 2018 unless you file for an extension. We want to use this occasion to talk about how tax policy affects our lives. In a little bit, we're going to talk about how audits are affecting low-income earners more than the wealthy these days. But first, let's talk about the national tax overhaul and the differences people are seeing on their returns. And joining us to talk more about tax policy is Jeffrey Dorfman. He's a professor of economics at the University of Georgia. Jeffrey, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. Happy to be with you. So there are lots of people I've seen on social media and other places talking about the differences in their returns. A lot of people, I think, who expected to pay less under the tax overhaul are paying more. Some people seem surprised that they're paying less, but let's talk about the differences that people are seeing on their returns this tax season and what explains those differences. Sure. The biggest difference people are seeing on their tax returns this tax season is smaller refunds. Um, Virtually nobody, the the estimates are about 5% of people are actually going to pay more in taxes, but a lot of people who are paying less in taxes for 2018 than 2017, are also getting smaller refunds because the IRS paid out most of the tax cuts through lower withholding. So a lot of people, even though they're paying less in taxes, are unhappy because they wanted a big, fat refund. And they didn't recognize that uh, the, the money they were saving in, uh, in withholding was part of this tax cut, right? Yeah, that apparently slipped right by most people, that their paychecks were, say, 30 or $40 bigger every time. Nobody noticed, and now they just want to know why they're getting a $500 refund instead of a $2,000 refund. And I guess I suppose that that's something that could come back to haunt members of Congress or maybe even the president once voters go back to the polls. I mean, the anger that I've seen from some people about this uh, has been really palpable. And again, there there was this expectation that the, the change in the tax laws was really going to, to put more money, a lot more money, in people's pockets. Uh, is, that, is that what they achieved here? Did, they, did the, the tax changes give people a lot more than they were, they were able to keep before? So it did. The tax cuts did a good job of cutting the taxes for most Americans and increasing their spending power. But you're also exactly right that the way it was implemented and the way it was reported in the news means that that President Trump and the Republicans in Congress that passed the Tax Cut and Job Act are going to get very little credit for having done anything to help people because most people didn't notice. Most people have believed the Democrat messaging that the tax cuts only went to the rich and so they're, they're going to have helped a lot of people, uh, and, and nobody's going to 
nobody's going to thank them for it. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, you, you, you say that Democrat messaging is that most of these benefits went to the rich. There, there's no question that people who earn in the higher income brackets are doing well as well under this. But there are also some changes to the way in which they tax the kinds of income that wealthy people get. So, for instance, uh, people who live off of dividends uh, more than income uh, are not paying taxes at all unless their income is over a certain amount, which is something that, that didn't get talked about a whole lot when they were affecting this this change. But that makes a big difference uh, for people at the upper end of uh, the income brackets. Yeah, though, I mean, anybody who's collecting a lot in dividends is still going to owe taxes. Nobody's going to have enough to live on, I think, and avoid taxes. But it, it's certainly true. There are lots of complicated little features, uh, still lots of sort of loopholes or special benefits. And that is a shame. We had a chance to do some good tax reform, make things simpler, um, I think most people think if it's easier to understand and more transparent that that equates to fairness. So I think people see a tax system as fairer when everybody can understand it and when nobody knows exactly what's going on. That seems unfair to us. Yeah. Uh, so when you look at the tax system we have now after the big tax overhaul, what are the things that you think still remain to do? Uh, things that will, as you say, make it fairer, uh, make it simpler, and maybe let people at the lower ends of the earning brackets uh, keep even more of their money. I mean, this this question about tax fairness always kind of comes up. Sure. I think two parts to my answer, I guess. The first is that there's virtually nothing we can do to make the tax code better for people in the lower income brackets. The bottom 50% of income earners already pay only 3% of all income taxes. So it's just become impossible to give tax cuts to half the people in the country because they're already not paying any taxes. Then the second part of the answer, I think the big thing I would love to have seen done in tax reform and hope can get done at some point is let's start treating all income the same. Why is wage income treated different than dividend income or capital gain income or the worst of all, carried interest income. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if I make money for my job as a professor, I pay taxes one way. If I get paid for a book I wrote, I actually get taxed differently. You don't have to pay payroll taxes, Social Security and Medicare taxes on royalties. That makes no sense. If I made my living as a writer, why wouldn't I have to pay into Social Security and Medicare? Why do rich hedge fund managers get taxed differently when they get paid on a share of the profits than if we treat it as their wages? These are things that I think feel inherently unfair to people. There's really not a great reason to have them in the tax code. So what's the reason then that Congress and the president can't take those on or don't? What's the reason that these things persist? Who is the, I guess, the lobby that ends up protecting these kinds of, of discrepancies in the tax code. Yeah, I, I, I think rich people and industries that, that save billions of dollars in taxes on these special tax breaks are the people who protect them. And Congress typically falls for it because they get told it will create jobs or increase growth. And it, and it isn't even just sort of, you know, hedge fund managers. I mean, it's everybody who who bought an electric car and got a tax credit for buying an electric vehicle. That, that's one that the Democrats wanted. 
instead of one that the Republicans wanted. Both sides put all kinds of special treatments in the tax code. And unless you're one of the people who wins from that, I think the rest of us see all those things as unfair. My guest is Jeffrey Dorfman. He's a professor of economics at the University of Georgia. And we're talking about tax day, the day that we all are due to file our tax returns from 2018, unless, of course, you file an extension. We're talking about the big changes in tax policy that are showing up on people's returns, people getting less back than they might have anticipated or might have gotten before, uh, people complaining, a lot of people uh, my social media feeds, about the lack of returns or the lack of uh, uh, payouts that uh, they're getting off of their returns this year. Uh, we're also talking about uh, the overall state of tax policy uh, in this country. Is it where it should be? Are people paying what they should? Uh, or should we be making more changes to the way that we tax people and their incomes? As always, we want to hear from you. What are you seeing as you file your tax returns this year? Is it different than in years past? And how do you think the national tax overhaul affected your returns this year? Are you somebody who feels like you got more uh, back or got to keep more of your income? Or do you feel like you're paying more? If you usually get money back from the government around this time of the year, what does that cash infusion mean for you generally? And do you think this tax code is fair? And if not, tell us how you would change it to make it more fair. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, let's start with uh, Mike in Chesterfield. Mike, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, Stephen. How are hey. you doing today? Good. How are you? Good, good. Just wondering, um, so with our um, with our current tax policy, uh, we we only collect a certain amount in taxes relative to GDP in a, in a ratio, and it's been around 17 to 18% since the end of World War II. Uh, there's been a few um, areas where it's gone above or below that area, but that's been about the standard average. And yet our spending policies have been around 20% since then. So that's why we've had a massive amount of increase in the national debt. Now that's at $22 trillion. Mm-hmm. Um, well, if, if you really want to fix this problem, it, it's kind of twofold. You, you have to first make sure you limit the spending to sort of that ratio, because no matter what, it's going to continuously increase, because we think that we can get away with a certain amount in deficit spending. And then the other thing is, if you want to look at other forms of taxation, we, we've got to stop um, going after people's incomes. This is It's ridiculous how much people have paid through income taxes, payroll taxes, uh, certain hidden taxes throughout the code, when it's much uh, less harmful in the economic terms. People think it's regressive, but it's, it's a whole lot better to have a value added for sales tax hmm. to uh, combat certain forms of consumption. Now, mind you, I'm not saying to continuously add on to it. I would actually reduce the other forms of taxes and, and put out there a national sales tax or VAT. But essentially, that's what a lot of the places in Europe do. That's how they pay for a lot of their um, services is with double-digit value-added taxes. Yeah. Uh, Mike, that's a really, those are both really interesting uh, points. I'm glad you called to add them to the conversation here. Uh, Jeffrey Dorfman, let's take them sort of one at a time. This first question of taxes as a ratio of GDP and how that compares to spending 
Are we getting that wrong, as Mike says, and have been getting it wrong since the end of the Second World War? Uh, I would I would more or less agree with Mike. I think he's exactly right. The percent of GDP collected in taxes has been remarkably stable over the last several decades. Apparently, when they raise tax rates, we cheat more and when, or hire better accountants and tax lawyers. And when they lower rates, we cheat less or don't bother to find loopholes. And so getting back to your fairness points, we seem to have decided how much of our income it's fair to pay to the federal government in taxes, and that's kind of how much they get no matter what tax system they try. It would be nice if we either lowered our spending to our level of taxes or raised our taxes to our level of spending. Um, either one is probably better than where we are now, although if I had to choose, I'd rather we lower our spending. Uh, it's also true the reason Europe has bigger government sectors and more government spending is because they tax the middle class a lot more. That's what consumption taxes do. Mm. Um, the U.S. taxes its rich people um, more than other countries. They pay a higher percentage of the tax pie here than in any place else in the world. Um, the reason we don't have the big government programs that Europe does is because we don't tax the middle class very much. Mm. Uh, and so his, and then his second uh, question about how we tax incomes here, uh, as opposed to other things, should we be looking at major, major overhauls that say mm, we're not going to, we're not going to uh, ask people to give so much of their income uh, to pay for things? We are going to look at other other ways that uh, we can raise that money. I mean, the problem with that is that the, the other way we could raise money, essentially, is, as Michael said, is, is a consumption tax, some sort of national sales tax or value-added tax. And there's virtually no way to do that that doesn't put most of the burden on the middle class. So there are ways you can avoid it hitting the poor too hard. There's really not a good way to make it hit the rich very hard. And so I, politically, I don't see this country wanting to put in a big new tax that's going to put most of its burden on the middle class. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, Mike, thanks very much for the call and for sharing your ideas. Uh, Amelia on Twitter says, I pity the fool that doesn't max out their 401k contribution. I would owe a lot more to the Fed without it today. Um, that's an interesting. That's an interesting point too. Um, is there something in the changes in the tax code that favors more than it did before people who are saving for retirement? Is there a reason that Amelia's taxes would have uh, would have been different because of that? No, actually, because income tax rates were lowered in the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, actually there's sort of less of an incentive to hide your income by saving it for retirement. Um, it's still a really good idea. People should save as much as they can afford for retirement. Um, and it certainly does lower your taxes. But with lower income tax brackets, the advantage of those tax advantage savings for retirement is actually slightly smaller than it was before. Hmm. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Jeffrey Dorfman, professor of economics at University of Georgia, about taxes and tax policy. We also want to get to more of your calls. Alex in Gross Point, Robert in Detroit, Charlie in Ferndale. We will hear from you as well. Also, don't forget that if you have to miss any of today's show, you don't have to miss out on the conversation. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. You can download and subscribe to Detroit Today, and you can take us with you and listen whenever you are 
Redding. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. It's Tax Day, and we are talking about tax policy, the way it's changed over the last few years and the way it's playing out on your tax returns. Are you getting more money back this year than you have in years past, or is it less? Is it less than you expected after the big tax overhaul that President Donald Trump affected once he got into office. And if it is, tell us how you feel about that. Do you feel as though it was worth it that uh, if you voted for President Donald Trump because, in part, he promised to lower your taxes, do you feel like you got what you thought was coming to you? Or are you a little disappointed in the numbers? As always, the number on the phone here to talk with us is 313-577-1019. That's 313 313- Five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, uh, and uh, we will try to work you into the conversation. Uh, I've got Jeffrey Dorfman, the professor of economics from the University of Georgia, here with us today to help us sort through all of this. Um, and again, uh, Give us a call. Tell us what's going on on your returns as you prepare to send them in today or tonight. Uh, let's go back to the phones here. Uh, let's go to Alex in Gross Point. Alex, what's on your mind? Hey there. Thanks for having uh, taken my call. Sure. Um, so just wanted to make a quick comment. Um, there was somebody earlier. Um, I sort of caught the, the tail end of their of their um, what they were saying, but they were saying that we essentially in this country we tax. Um, wealthy people at um, too high of a rate, or sorry, too low of a rate, and we tax the middle class um, at too high of a rate. And so what they were saying is that middle class people pay too much and upper class people pay too little. And I think that that's totally, just completely backwards. Um, I'm 26. Um, my wife and I bought a house last year, and for those 25 years, I have been raised on this notion that you buy a house and you get somewhat of a, a tax break mm-hmm. uh, the following year when you file your taxes. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we moved to Michigan last year in March, and when we filed our taxes a couple of weeks ago, um, the accountant said, not only uh, are you getting $1,800 back, um, but you're going to owe the state of Michigan over $2,000, um, almost 3000 So we had a, we ended up with a net loss. Um, so I, I don't think that I, – I, I do think that we got exactly what uh, we expected when we elected President Trump, that uh, the tax law was going to change and it was going to be – it wasn't going to favor anybody who really needed a, a, a tax break, um, such as those who are buying homes or, or just uh, regular middle class people who are, uh, don't necessarily make hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars a year. So, so let me ask you a, a question. What, what is it that you think did you make? Did you earn more money this year than you had in the past year? Is that, is that maybe one of the reasons that you ended up paying more and that the, the home purchase didn't help you out? Well, one of the reasons that uh, the home purchase didn't help us out, um, in part, was that we sold uh, some like savings that we had, uh, some stocks we had, and we put in used savings that we had to make a down payment. Mm-hmm. But the other, the other part of the tax code that changed that really hurt us was um, that it helped us in the past. Was um, you can no longer offset your taxes with um, 
uh, any um, any taxes that you had paid in the previous year. I think it was uh, twelve hundred dollars. Hmm. Uh, you could you could you could uh, claim up to a certain amount, and now that that number is astronomical. You'd have to have spent uh, almost twenty five thousand dollars, I think, in taxes alone just to. Um, start being able to write off things like buying a house. Hmm. Um, and since the taxes on our house weren't that much, um, and we had used um, stocks and bonds that, you know, my grandfather and grandmother bought for me when I was like four days old, um, that really hit us hard when we when we filed our taxes. And that's why we ended up owning the state so much. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I, I really appreciate the call and and you sharing your story. I mean, I think uh, there I, I'm hearing a lot of these kinds of stories from people who, again, have a certain set of expectations going into filing their taxes and find out that their particular circumstances make them not the best benefit or the biggest beneficiaries of of the changes we made. Jeffrey Dorfman, can you talk about maybe what some of uh, what the caller is seeing here? Sure. So the, the higher taxes at the state level is a tricky one for me to address because I don't file taxes in Michigan. Sure. Um, but what happened on the federal returns is easy to address. Um, as, as the caller pointed out, one of the things that was done in the tax reform was to double the standard deduction. So filers can either itemize deductions or just take the standard deduction. Mm-hmm. And the standard deduction for a married couple is now $24,000. So the itemized deductions are basically now your charitable deductions uh, and the interest on your home mortgage, and if and then state and local property taxes paid. So there are only three categories that are going to affect most people. So unless your three categories of itemized deductions exceed $25,000, or sorry, $24,000, then you just get the standard deduction. So... Buying a house for most people doesn't give them a tax cut anymore. Um, donating money to charity doesn't give most people a tax cut anymore. Um, because, as I said, unless your charity plus your mortgage interest plus your state and local taxes, basically your state income tax plus your local property tax, unless those things add up to more than $24,000, the government just says, eh, we'll just call it 24000 You don't have to give me the details. Mm-hmm. And that, and that, uh, that change harms people who otherwise would have been filing lots of... No, uh, no, it harms nobody. Everybody is actually benefiting from it because essentially what happened with our caller is he, in past years, would have had less than a $24,000 deduction if he'd itemized, mm-hmm. and now he gets the standard deduction. I see. So he's actually getting a tax cut, but it makes your decisions not feel as good because you did these things. You bought a house. You took out a mortgage, you donated money to charity, and you thought it was going to cut your taxes. And it isn't that action that's cutting your taxes anymore. They sort of gave it to you already. Right. I see. Yeah. Uh, again, we uh, want to continue to hear from, from callers, and especially f- folks who supported the president during the campaign, in part because he was promising to lower taxes. I'd love to hear what you're seeing on your returns and whether you think uh, that decision is reflecting the way you want it to in your wallet or in your pocketbook. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Robert in Detroit. Robert, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi. Um, I think we were sold a bill of goods because not only were we told that, you know, 
the wall would be built and Mexico would pay for it. But we were told that there would be vast improvements in, in infrastructure and that we would pay for that. I'm not seeing any of that. And yet I wonder with these tax cuts, uh, which I really didn't see much difference, like most Americans are saying, um, is it really worth what they're saying now about cutting Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security, um, social net programs? Hmm. Uh, Robert, I appreciate the call and and the comments. Uh, Jeffrey Dorfman, that's another dimension of this is uh, not just whether people feel as though they've gotten their money's worth out of these tax cuts, but whether other parts of the government are in maybe worse shape because there's less money to deal with them. Uh, of course, Social Security, Medicare, uh, those programs, those social programs always raise uh, people's hackles when you talk about having to cut back on them. Uh, was there a miscalculation uh, maybe in, in terms of what Congress and the president did uh, in terms of being able to, to maintain those government services that people really rely on? So I, I guess I'll say yes and no. It, it's no because the government shows no indication that they're actually going to cut programs just because there isn't enough t- tax revenue to pay for them. So nobody's suggesting cutting Social Security, for example, even though um, it's running out of money. Everybody just seems to think we'll just borrow whatever we don't have and, and keep spending as we are now. Mm. And it's, it's sort of a yes in the sense that people were hoping, I think, for more changes than they got, more sort of fundamental reforms, and, and also because Trump and some of his supporters said they could cut taxes and the government would actually collect more money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that certainly has not happened and doesn't look like it will happen. The economic growth that uh, we're getting because of the tax cuts is, is positive, but it's small. And unless you want to wait about 30 years, you're not going to see more government revenue thanks to these tax cuts. Uh, again, thanks for the call and the questions. Uh, let's go back to the phones here. Let's go to Kathy in Ferndale. Kathy, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thank you. Hey. Um, okay, so I would say that the um, one of the biggest differences, there are two, and I understand that they increased uh, is it the standard deduction right to 12000 or to 6000 for single. Mm-hmm. Um. No, I'm wrong. Twelve thousand. It's twelve for for single. Yes. Okay. Right. Um, so they've done some figuring with those numbers too, because I'm not able to claim as much to deduct as much this year as I was last year mm-hmm. with that. And then also they've taken away the personal exemption, and that was four thousand dollars that you could take right off the top. Right. So it's kind of like in this in this situation, it seems as though like you know the biggest thing that I have to claim obviously is mortgage interest, but it's almost making it to the point where it's where before it would be advantageous for you to own a home because you'd be able to claim that, mm-hmm. but it almost removes that luxury now wow. because yeah. of that. Right, because of this this doubling of the standard deduction. Uh, Kathy, I appreciate the call and and the perspective. Uh, Jeffrey Dorfman, I wonder if, uh, and and Alex, who called earlier, actually just tweeted at me another another dimension of this. Does this end up discouraging people from doing things like buying houses? Uh, These other deductions that that we had 
were part of uh, incentivizing people to do those things, you know, and that that has other beneficial effects in the economy when people buy houses. Uh, did we go too far to the point where people will say it's just not worth it uh, to buy a house for the tax deduction anymore, and maybe I'm I'm not going to do it? Yeah, the, the, as best we can tell from research, the answer is no. That that reducing the number of people who will take the mortgage interest deduction isn't going to stop people buying houses. It will um, encourage people to pay more down and not borrow as much money because there were people who took bigger mortgages than they needed or even had mortgages when they could have paid off their entire house and just you know, owned it outright because they wanted that tax break. Mm-hmm. So if it makes Americans have less debt, that's a good thing. We'll also see lower home prices. So that's bad if you already owned your house before the Tax Cut and Job Act. It's good if you didn't and you want to buy one sometime in the future because since it isn't that automatic tax write-off anymore home buyers won't be willing to pay as much because when they crunch the numbers on what's this house going to cost me, you used to take your payment, right, the mortgage, the interest, the property taxes, and then you subtract it and I'll save $200 a month because I get to write this off on my taxes. You don't get to save that $200 anymore unless you're buying a very expensive house. So people are going to look for a lower price on that house and and home sellers are going to lose a little and home buyers are going to gain a little. Okay, Jeffrey Dorfman, professor of economics at University of Georgia. Always great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Happy to have been with you. All right, up next, we're going to continue the conversation about taxes. We're going to talk with Paul Keel of ProPublica about why poor people are more likely to be audited by the IRS. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Robin in Waterford, Sharon in Warren, Charlie in Ferndale, Bashar in Oak Park. We will get to you as well. If you want to join them, as always, the number is 313-577-1019. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. You know, you'd think that the more money you make, the higher the risk you'd run that you might get audited by the IRS. And generally speaking, that's true. But in recent years, lower income individuals who qualify for the earned income tax credit have been more likely to be audited than people who earn a lot more. Is that fair? Is there some particular reason that low-income filers are more likely to attract the IRS's attention? Or is this just a reflection of the kinds of income inequality that we see plaguing so many other parts of American society? That's where we want to continue the conversation here on Detroit Today, this question of who faces the more likely uh, option or possibility that they're going to be audited by the IRS for their taxes. And joining us to talk more about that is Paul Keel. He is a reporter who covers business for ProPublica. He is co-author of a story from last year titled, Who's More Likely to be Audited? A Person Making $20,000 or $400,000. Paul Keel, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. So uh, audit rates have fallen overall, but for lower income people, you report that the rates have not fallen as sharply as they have 
for higher earners. What is the reason for those different rates of decline? Yeah, so the reason that there's such a uh, focus on people on the bottom of the income spectrum is that uh, they claim the earned income tax credit, which is uh, one of our country's largest anti-poverty programs. Uh, Almost 30 million people uh, claim it. Mm -hmm. And really going back to the 1990s, it's been a a focus of Republicans in Congress to uh, prevent improper claims of this credit. And that's based on some IRS research that there are a number of improper claims, uh, which is kind of that's the that's the language that the government uses. That doesn't mean fraud. That just means someone claims the credit who, you know, didn't uh, qualify for it. Um, so I think one basic thing to say is that there is IRS research has shown non-compliance uh, up and down the income spectrum. Actually, when you look where the money is, it's much further up the spectrum. Um, but these are audits that the IRS does in very large numbers, I think in part because they're automated. Um, the way they work is as a letter, you know, a computer flags someone as questionable for some reason or other. And then a letter goes out um, saying basically you're under audit. And the main aspect of this credit is that you have children in your household. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's really targeted to low-income families with children, which is why I think more than any other program, it, it pulls more kids out of poverty. It's about 5 million kids. Um and so the letter says basically prove that you deserve this credit, and that sends um, the people who claim the credit kind of scrambling to get a piece of paper that shows that, they're, that the child that they claimed lived in their house for more than six years of the tax year. That's what you have to show, um, which can be really challenging if you have a toddler in mm-hmm. your house who's not in school. Um, so I've talked to people, you know, they, they try to go to the doctor. That maybe they, if they go to daycare, that's, that's something. But if they're not, if they're taking care of the kid at home, it gets really complicated. You have to worry about making affidavits and that kind of stuff, which is, you know, people in the low-income spectrum often don't know what's happening. Um, there's research to show that a lot of them don't even know that what, what is happening, what that, that they're really being audited, what is being asked of them. Um, so these types of audits account for more than a third of all the audits that the IRS does. Mm-hmm. There's more than 300,000 audits in uh, 2017. And that's why... Um, we did a map showing like where, you know, where uh, audits are most concentrated in the country, and it's really a map of poverty in the United States because it's reflecting where these people are who are claiming this credit. Um, so you know, the, the credit tends to go to people who earn less than twenty thousand dollars a year in income. So when you look at the map, it lights up you know the southern part of the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, the most audited county in the United States we found was Humphreys County. Mississippi, which is a rural, mostly African-American county in the Mississippi Delta um, that's famous for its catfish farms. More than a third of people there are uh, in poverty. And the reason that it's the most audited county is because more than half people there are claiming this credit. Yeah. Uh, And of course, on that map, which people can look at uh, at ProPublica.org, and we'll we'll put a link to it on our website, uh, in Michigan, of course, the highest uh, the highest rate of, of those audits appears to be right here in Wayne County, southeast Michigan, where Detroit is, which is also reflective of what you're saying, uh, where where more low-income people would be living than in other parts of the state. Uh, I, I want to ask you about IRS policy, though, right? So the idea that, that this earned income tax credit is flagging these returns and sort of triggering these audits it makes sense from from just sort of a, an, an organizational standpoint. But as policy, I mean, A, you're likely to get less money uh, out from the people who are who are doing this uh, or, or doing it incorrectly than you are 
for people at the higher end of the income uh, bracket. But but also, I guess intuitively, you would think that a policy would be aimed at those higher brackets because those are people who are have much more sophisticated kinds of deductions uh, and practice more tax avoidance than other people. What's the reason that that hasn't been shifted to kind of reflect what what seems very obvious in terms of uh, the the utility, I guess, of of doing an audit of somebody's taxes? Yeah, well, I think well one of the main drivers is like I said. Uh, Congress has put a lot of pressure on the IRS to to focus on this problem, even though the number of people who claim this credit is so large, the IRS couldn't possibly, you know, fix this with audits. Um, but more broadly, the IRS has had its budget slashed over the last eight years, and it's lost over a third of its enforcement staff. Um, and auditing, you know, the poor is just easier to keep the numbers up in the sense that these are largely automated the way they get. Um, started. Um, whereas if you move higher up the income scale um, and you're talking about trying to, you know, audit a billionaire or even just a bill, you know, a business owner who's, you know, wealthy but not super wealthy, um, it's complicated. You need skilled people to do those audits, um, to look, you know, to know what to audit. Um, it takes man hours to do that. And those people aren't there um, in large numbers. So those audits don't get started, and so that's reflected in the audit rate. And when I talk to people at the IRS about this, um, basically they say, you know, we really do prioritize the, the very top, and you, basically, and then you know, and and kind of the priority goes down um, from there. So like the very highest priority is people with income over ten million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. That's the highest audit rate, and then you start moving down from there. But things are sort of so out of whack now that you have to get all the way up to a million dollars a year in income before you have audit rates that are more than people who are being audited at the very bottom of the income scale, mm. um, which is why we titled that piece, you know, who's more likely to be audited, someone who's making $20,000 a year or $400,000 a year. Um, the answer is $20,000 a year, and it's like two to one. Um, and that, you know, there always was this sort of disproportionate focus on people on the bottom of the income scale, but things have gotten more out of whack as a result of these budget cuts and, and the IRS losing such a large number of its uh, enforcement people. Mm. My guest is Paul Keel. He is a reporter who covers business for ProPublica. He's co-author of a story from last year titled, Who's More Likely to be Audited? A Person Making $20,000 or $400,000? We're talking about fairness in the IRS code and in the practice of auditing a certain number of returns every year. Do you think our tax care, our tax code is fair? If not, how should it change to make it fairer? Have you had an experience being audited by the IRS recently? And do you think the earned income tax credit was maybe a factor in the fact that you got audited? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will try to work you into the conversation. Let's go to Charlie in Ferndale. Charlie, what's on your mind? You there, Charlie? Nope. Did we lose Charlie there? Okay. Let's go to Bashar in Oak Park. Charlie, call us back if you get a chance. Uh, Bashar, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thank you. Uh Um, I have been following your conversation, the callers and the guests. It's all very interesting. Um, I just want to go back to something that your first guest said, which is that the effective tax rate has been about 17% for Mm -hmm. quite some time now. Mm -hmm. 
Um, in addition to that, according to the national health expenditure data, the percent that we pay on uh, health care as a percent of GDP is now 17.9 percent. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has not been steady over time. That has been going up. So I'm wondering how uh, this discussion changes when we factor in health care um, and effectively treat it as a tax. Maybe there is some overlap with Medicare and Medicaid when it comes to that data. But overall, we can, I think, all agree that health care is something separate um, and yeah. how that factors into people's paychecks. Yeah, that's a great question, Bashar. And, and you're right. It's, a, it's an important dimension of the way we talk about taxes in this country. We don't think of all the money we spend on health care necessarily as tax, but uh, but it kind of is, right? Uh, it's something you have to do. It's something that uh, that you don't have a whole lot of control uh, over in terms of in terms of the cost. And of course, in in European countries, uh, part of their taxes do go to pay for uh, for medical care. Uh, so I appreciate the uh, I appreciate the, the the call and and the info uh, sort of interjecting that into this into this conversation. Uh, let's go to Linda in Dearborn. Linda, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, thanks hey. for having me. Sure. So I'm curious about whether in this reporting um, you found out um, what the average amount is that the, they're recouping from these low-income audits. Like, is it $100? Is it $500? I can't imagine that it's very large. And even though I understand that they're trying to play this numbers game, they have to show that they're doing a lot of audits, they could probably audit a few richer people and bring in, <laughs> and you know, get way more money. More. <laughs> yeah, and so is there like an average? Because how much could it possibly be from these low-income audits? It's probably just few hundred dollars per person, whereas, you know, the the tax loopholes that maybe potentially richer people are taking advantage of could lead to tens of thousands of dollars coming in, right? Yeah. Linda, that's a great question. Uh, And before you answer, Paul, I would sort of add to that the question of whether a lot of these folks who claim the earned income tax credit are, are paying taxes at all, right? I mean, there's a certain percentage of of people who fall below the level of paying that federal tax in in any real way, even if you even if you are incorrectly claiming the EITC, you might still not owe anything. So what's the point of what's the point of uh, of auditing those folks? Yeah. So I mean, so the the point of this program is to give money to people, right? It, and and actually, the the basis, the the roots of it go back to the 1970s, and it really was bipartisan in its basis, and it was sort of thought of as an alternative to welfare, in the sense that it would be an anti-poverty program that be targeted to people who were working, and so in its original formulation, it was called a negative income tax. It's called something like a work bonus. So the point is for people to have a refund um, at the end. Um, uh, so the refund kind of ranges in size. Um, if you have a large family and you're low income, it can get all the way up to $6,000, but more typically it's in the two dollars to $3,000 range. So when the IRS does these audits, um, that is basically what happens is they, they say, we don't believe that, for instance, to prove that your kids are your kids or if you're a grandmother taking care of your grandkids, that, that, you know, that they live with you. Um, and so then they'll stop the refund, which is actually really uh, a hardship for people who are audited because they're really relying on this money often to, you know, make rent or make their car payment, that sort of thing. So that is, that's its own crisis. Um, 
And so if you look at the numbers in terms of how, how much the IRS uh, is recouping, it's like around – it basically corresponds to the size of the credit. So it is in the couple thousand dollars range. The thing to kind of say about that though is that you know, very few of the people who are audited find their way to help. There is help available. So if people are going through this. There's something called the Low Income Tax Clinic Program. They should Google that and it's free legal help is av- available. It's something that's run through the IRS. There's not enough attorneys out there. But – if you do try to find help that way, oftentimes you can find help. Um, so, but I mean, if you look at uh, audits further up the income scale, absolutely, they return more uh, money uh, to the IRS. And it's not that the IRS thinks it makes a whole lot of sense to audit, you know, uh, people making $20,000 a year so much more than people who are making a half a million dollars a year. Mm. It's a reflection of these budget cuts, right? And the way the budget cuts have shaken out is it, it's not like the IRS has done any mass layoffs. Basically, what's happened is IRS employees have retired and just not been replaced. So it hasn't been like a downsizing that was planned in any way. It's just sort of haphazard, you know, uh, as it comes. And what you end up with is, you know, kind of a, a mix that the IRS doesn't say this is optimal. Um, it's just a reflection of they don't have enough resources to do a good job. Yeah. Uh, you know, I also wonder about the uh, the difference in the way that people respond to audits, for instance. Uh, people who earn lots of money, first of all, are employing accountants and lawyers to upfront figure out how they can you know, experience less less tax incidents to to avoid taxes, those kinds of things. And of course, if they get audited, they have resources to be able to employ somebody to to fight back and tell the IRS, no, we don't think we owe this, uh, and and maybe reach an agreement that lowers even the amount of money that the IRS says they're going to do. Uh, at the lower income levels, you know, I would imagine that people who get these audit letters. Um, don't have the resources to to necessarily push back, and so is there is there a, a an imbalance uh, there in terms of the rate at which you collect more money, for instance, uh, from people at the lower income levels because they aren't as likely to be able to say I don't want to do this or I can't uh, or I don't think I owe it uh, than than folks who are wealthier. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people higher up the scale don't just have lawyers, they have legal teams um, to make sure that they fight, um, particularly when there's a large assessment, um, you know, down to the last. And there's actually a lot of appeal options that you have with the IRS. Um, so those things can drag on for years. And then on the flip side, you have people who don't, you know, when the IRS sends out these notices, I and mean, I've looked at them. If you read them closely, you can ask, you can figure out what's happening and what they're wanting, but it's, it's, they don't make it easy. Um, it's not written for normal people. Um, so that's one criticism. There's, there's kind of an ombudsman within the IRS called the Taxpayer Advocate, and she's numerous times made criticisms of the fact that the IRS doesn't, you know, it's not up to date in terms of trying to craft notices that people can understand. And then, like I said, there's a, there's a federal program to allow free legal help for people who are going through this, but it's, you know, Mississippi is the most audited uh, state in the country um, per capita, and there is one attorney in the state under this program. Mm. Um, So it's absolutely not adequate. Um, And that's, I think, one reason why the numbers uh, that the IRS has in terms of, you know, how much people are not claiming this credit correctly, you have to factor into that. I think that uh, the low-income people on the other end of those audits aren't necessarily always able to represent themselves in the best way. Like I said, it can be pretty hard to find exactly 
you know, the document that the IRS is looking for sure. that will, you know, give them exactly that you have to prove that it's over six years. And so if you have a if you give them a document that just has your kid's name on it and the address where they live, that's actually not enough because you need to show that they were there over six months. Um, so it's it's not always uh, and, and I've talked to attorneys have been very frustrated with this process. And then the IRS, you know, doesn't uh, give in when they even think they've given them very good proof. So, um it's, yeah, it's a mess. It's a mess for people. Being audited is no fun. Anyone's been audited can tell you that. Sure. Uh, let's quickly go to Phyllis in Warren. Phyllis, we've got about a minute left, but I wanted to get you in here. Okay. Uh-huh. I wonder why you have to file your for taxes when you're over the age of seventy-five. It seems like there should be an age limit when people are filing and. The same income, they're on Social Security or something. Why do they have to file? That's a great question, Phyllis. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure anyone's ever really thought about why uh, why we continue to ask people who have fixed incomes, for instance, and it doesn't change. Why do they have to file, or do they get in trouble if they don't? Uh, Paul Keel, what's your what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I guess the IRS would say is that everyone needs to file. I mean, you do have billionaires over the age of seventy-five, but um, <laughs> they they do um, you know try to make like an easy form. There's the easy form to to file, but uh, they could make it far easier um, than they do for sure. Yeah. Okay, Paul Keel, a reporter who covers business for ProPublica, co-author of a story from last year titled. Who's more likely to be audited, a person making $20,000 or $400,000? It was really great to have you with us here on Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. All right. That's going to do it for us today. I'm going to be back tomorrow, and I hope you will, too. Remember, April 25th, Thursday, April 25th, from 6 to 8 at Whiskey 6 in Gross Point, we're going to have a Smart Politics Happy Hour. Nancy Derringer from Deadline Detroit and Sandra Swoboda from Great Lakes Now will join me as you lead the conversation about the issues that matter most to you. You're going to tell us what the things are that are on your mind, and then we're going to take those concerns with us and put them to elected officials and policymakers when we go up to the Mackinac Policy Conference at the end of May. So mark your calendar, April 25th at Whiskey 6. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about the situation at the border and what it means here in Detroit, the ongoing saga of immigration in this country under Donald Trump. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. I'll speak with you again tomorrow.